are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Wonderful. Um, thanks so much, Phil and Amy and David, for leading us so well uh, so far during our morning. And isn't it so good to be a part of this family of churches uh, across many nations called Commission? And um, Global is just going to be a great evening to pray, as, as you've just heard. And so I'm really looking forward to being able to connect in uh, with that in just a few Sundays' time. Today, we're carrying on our series in Genesis, which we've called A Blueprint for Life. And it's a famous story. In fact, the next two Sundays, so this Sunday and next week, we're going to be looking at the story of Noah and the flood. It spans four chapters, chapters six, seven, eight and nine. And so today we're going to be in six and seven and then next week in, in eight and nine. And um, I just, yeah, really looking forward to digging into this, this quite kind of famous story, the story that we've all heard from childhood. And it might be that you're kind of looking in and you're thinking in your and you might right now want to switch off because you think could that really have happened the whole world flooded Noah living five six hundred years could could any of that really taken place and it would be really easy to kind of just switch off from what the bible says at this point on these these next two weeks and my encouragement to do is just to pause actually um, if you really wanted to look into it, there's, there's actually quite a lot of archaeological and literary evidence for a, a great flood in the Mesopotamian era and, and area. And so you can look at the Gilgamesh epic, which talks about a flood. You can look at the Atrahasis epic. You can um, look at the Sumerian king list. All of these things look talk about um, a flood happening. Even an ancient Greek culture, the Deucalion and his Ark, is a story that the Greeks would share. Now, all of them would give different reasons as to why these things happened, but it's all there in ancient literature. In fact, it's not just in the Mesopotamian area. You can also look at the Aztecs who are in South Africa, the People in India, you can go to the Aborigines in Australia, and all of them have flood tales of this great worldwide flood. And so I, I don't think, I mean, it's quite a step of faith to just write it off completely because we haven't experienced something like that in, in the last uh, few centuries. And so I would say, actually, if you really want to dig into it, could this possibly be, well, there is places to go, but for now, for this next half an hour at least, why don't you just humour me by just, let's just put all those to the side and let's just assume that perhaps this really did take place. Let's assume that the Hebrew Bible, one of those ancient literature uh, scriptures that we have, is true. What can God speak to us through this? And I just want to encourage you to give half an hour to, to hear what God might say to you through this, these few chapters. And so the way what we're going to do then is uh, we're going to hear the passage, then I'm going to give a little bit of context, and then I'm going to pull out four key things of, uh, that, that will become clear as we go through. So that's, that's where we're going, but for now, Miriam's going to read a bit of chapter 6 and a bit of chapter 7 for us. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within eight, 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has, has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the spring month, on the day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth for forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female, every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Miriam. And so there you have it. This is like the first part, part one of the Noah and the flood story culminating in God shutting um, those eight people and all the animals into the ark as the waters start to rise. And I just want to encourage you to kind of picture the scene. You've got Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives, and they're in the middle of the, the desert. They're in the middle of like kind of... Uh, the, the Middle East and God speaks to Noah and he says that this great flood is going to come and I can imagine the neighbours kind of you know watching as he starts to build this ark this ark that's 150 meters long it's like imagine like a football stadium the pitch in a football stadium. that's the kind of size we're kind of talking about so he's there in his back garden it's not like he's got lots of machinery it's like hammer and nails kind of stuff and it would have taken him decades to build. Noah was 500 uh, when he had Shem, Ham and Japheth. And he was 600 when the water started to rise. And so uh, at some point in that period, God speaks to him. And uh, along with his sons, they start to build this, this ark. And what I think is remarkable is that Noah is declared as a man of righteousness. In 2 Peter uh, 3, we, we hear... Um, God saying that and declaring him that and he is going around and he's 
he's kind of telling people of this impending judgment that is about to come. And I can imagine, yeah, neighbours kind of walking past and thinking, what are you doing, Noah? Like they're feeling the, the sand, they're, they're feeling the heat on, their, on themselves and they're wondering what on earth is, is going on. Like this monstrosity of an ark that you're building, this ship, this yacht, this boat that's being built in, in the desert is, is like, what on earth is going on, Noah? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? And, um, and yet God then comes and he has seven days notice. God gives him seven days. That's what, that's what we've read. There's like seven days to prepare. Now, he was faithfully building and preparing a way at decades so that when the call came, when the rain started to rise, it, he was ready. He was ready. And do you know the, the scripture, the Bible, it tells us in uh, chapter six that the, the, in chapter six, verse five, it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only for evil all the time. Uh, and then later on, that the, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. We see that, when we saw, heard last week how Cain's line, you end up getting Lamech, who has multiple wives and who murders people, has murdered someone, he's boasting about it. And this, it keeps going on throughout the generations. And sort of four or five generations later, we get... We get to Noah and God has a look at the rest of creation and it's just a mess. It's a complete mess. It's a write-off and um, there's evil everywhere. Every inclination of, of everyone's heart is towards evil. And so God comes and he brings judgment. He brings judgment. And the, the world, I mean, our world today is, I'm sure, it, I don't think it's as bad as that because there, we do see some good in the world. But it's not great, is it? When we think about just the last century, the, the genocides, the atrocities that have been committed by the different nations across the world. When you think about what's going on with the Uyghur Muslims right now in China, when we think about um, those who are starving, those who are neglected, those who are, are hurting and in pain. When we think about Sarah Everand, who can't even walk down the street without being safe from the very people that are meant to protect her. When you think about Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, and all the other atrocities and the things that happen, all the corruption that happens in our world, we, we see evil. And you could come to a point where you look on at the world and you see all that's going on and think, yeah, I can see. I can see a glimpse of what, what God might have been talking about when he says that every inclination of the heart was towards evil. And he chose to bring judgment. And you know what? Salvation was needed. Salvation was at hand. And um, there is, just as there is a certainty, as we can know as Christians, a certainty of God's salvation in our time today, do you know we can also know a certainty of God's judgment, that his judgment is coming. And you can read that in, in 2 Peter, you can read it in Hebrews, you can read it in Revelation, you can read about it throughout the Gospels, you can read Matthew 24, we, we might touch on what Jesus says about it later on. But the point I'm trying to make is that there is a certainty of judgment to come. And Noah is a man of righteousness. He is a, a preacher of righteousness that goes and he tells people, hey, come on, this is happening. There is a time that's happening. And they might have looked on and some of them would have looked on with cynicism. and thought, what are you talking about, Noah? That's rubbish. Some of them might have looked on and just thought he was senile and not even, you know, I'm not even going to entertain what you're talking about. Some of them might have just disregarded out of hand. We know that seven of them heard Noah and decided to trust in him. 
and and they were the ones that were saved. And if I pause the kind of tape now, then you might guess that the rest of this talk, therefore, is about how we know there is going to be judgment to come and we need to be like Noah. We need to be preachers of righteousness. We need to do, do, do and start telling people because God is going to bring his judgment on this earth at some point and therefore this is now what we need to do. And actually, it's not going to be that. I'm not going to talk about a blueprint for God's judgment, even though we see that, although that will come through. More importantly, I'm going to talk about a blueprint for hope. Throughout these verses, it's easy to focus on the devastation that happens and not focus on the salvation that comes through. And just in my preparation this week, I really felt God bringing me a message of hope that I want to share with you this morning and today about what God does through this. And you know what? As we look through so far, we've had these real great yes moments and then we've had, oh, oh dear, oh no moments. It's like, yes, God creates all of the world. He, he began with it all. He, he creates mankind. It's like, this is good, it's good, it's good. And it's this yes moment. And then we see what Adam and Eve do. And it's, oh no, they, they mess it up. And then God gives them family and Adam and Eve have children and they, their family. They start to multiply and fill the earth and then you see Cain and Abel. And you think, oh dear, as Cain kills Abel and then Cain's banished. And then God gives Seth a substitute in replacement for Abel. And you can look at substitute throughout the Bible. We'll be looking at that in Easter in a few weeks time. But God gives Seth as a substitute and it's yes, it's a yes moment. And, but then we, we hear about Lamech's line and the evil that's coming into the world as we start this chapter 6. And then God gives Noah, this righteous preacher, this one who is blameless. And it's good for us to think, who are we in the story? Who are we? You know, I, you had heard me say that many times as we explore the Bible. It's good to ask ourselves, who are we? And I love to think of myself as the Noah, as the righteous guy, the one that tells people, the one who is faithful, even in the face of derision and ridicule by my neighbours, the one who's faithful. But, you know, the reality is that that's, that's not me. Jesus is the blameless one. Jesus is the preacher of righteousness. Jesus is the one who is faithfully building his church, building his kingdom, saving people, seeing people come to him and bringing them to restoration. Who are we? Well, I guess that's, that's up to us. For some of us, we will be people that look on in derision and scorn. For others, we might be like the children who maybe we, we think of, oh, I know, you know, we talk to our oh, dad, yeah, he's a bit crazy, he's doing this, but there might be something in it and I'm going to be willing to put my trust in, in what he says. That might be some of us too. You know, for me, I, uh, we had someone, one of our neighbours recently, he died and um, that was quite a shock to our street um, who, who loved him and, and cared for him. And when I look back on the last two and a half years living in, that, in our close, I think, do you know what? I've been an amazing neighbour. I've put on barbecues, we've had people around, we've, we've shared ourselves, people know what I do as a job, I like to chat, I used to chat to this, this person regularly over the fence and, and we, we, every time we walked by we'd be friendly and kind and nice and you know people might ask me about my job and I might say what I do and I'm a part of a church but do you know what, with that individual I never shared my faith, I never shared about the salvation that can be found 
in Jesus. I, I never told the story of the gospel and how you can find restoration and hope and sins forgiven and shame cast aside and life and joy being brought through. I didn't do that. And perhaps pride got in the way, perhaps a sense of lack of urgency, perhaps um, uh, a kind of reputational damage that it might do if I start sharing this kind of information. You know, Noah didn't care about that. He, he got on and he built anyway. The reality is that I'm like that. We can all be like that sometimes, can't we? Where we, we hold back from sharing the good news of the gospel. We hold back from sharing of the true blameless one, the true righteous one, the true one who has uh, his, the whole world in his hands. And we can do that for all sorts of reasons. But do you know what? Even in that, even in our faithlessness, do you know what? God is faithful. And he is able and he is worthy and he is just and he is good and he is able to bring through an amazing salvation plan that we can look to, a blueprint for hope that we can look into. And so here's four things I want to pull out of the passage that show us this blueprint of hope that in the midst of judgment, in the midst of the waters riding, in the midst of kind of evil in our world, do you know what? There is great hope to be found in God. And so let's, let's delve into it. The first one is I want to talk about is rest. And so in chapter 6, verse 9, the first few things that uh, Miriam read out was this. She said, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Noah had three sons. The reason why my first point is about rest is because Noah, the, his name actually means rest. Names in the Bible mean a great deal. Adam means man. Eve, um, the giver of life. Moses, drawn out of water. Abraham, blessing to all nations. Jesus, that God saves. Joshua, that God saves. Names mean something. And here, Noah means rest. And so Noah, um, he is walking around the streets and he's saying, all who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are destitute, all who are living in this evil place, come to me and you will know rest. Come to Noah. Come to the place of rest. Come to the ark where you can find rest. When the, the, you will read next week, the, the waters rise and the ark, it ends up resting on Mount Ararat. As we go through the judgment of the waters, past the judgment, through the judgment, you then get to this place of rest. As, as the ark rests and then there's this new creation, there's new life and there's new joy. And on the other side of judgment, there is great rest to be found. And so right at the beginning of this part of the passage, we, we hear this is the count of rest. This is the count of Noah. Rest and his sons. Rest is blameless. Rest. It's this rest, rest, rest that comes through as you read the original Hebrew. And it's telling us something that there is going to be this rest to come out of judgment. And you get this, this preacher knowing, saying, hey, come to me. Come to this place. Come to the ark. Repent of your sins. Come here and you can find rest. You know, all these things are mapped out onto Jesus, the one who came from heaven into this world and the one who through judgment will come. And yet when we come to Jesus, we can find rest. And he says, all who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are destitute, all who look out onto the world and think, what on earth is going on? Do you know what? We can come to Jesus and we can know 
rest. Rest is seen right here in the passage and it's a blueprint for what we see into the future. The second thing is the ark and the ark tells us something of Exodus and so in chapter 6 verse 14 it says so make yourself an ark this is God telling Noah make yourself an ark of wood make rooms in it and coat it coat it with pitch inside and out you know the ark is this place of escape it's a it's a it's a get out it's a this is the way out of judgment this is this is where to come to on the way out of of judgment and that word ark and the ark that's covered in pitch that is only found one other place in the whole of the bible and that is in exodus in the first few chapters of exodus in exodus chapter two we see a mum who has had a child and she's a hebrew mum and the powers at the time are going around killing all the firstborn children and so she takes her child a child called moses means drawn out of water and she puts him in a ark that's what that word is and she covers that ark with pitch so that it doesn't sink. We see the parallels here. And as we read this story of Noah and his ark covered in pitch, and we read Exodus and um, Moses' mother with her, her ark covered in pitch, and then we see waters because Moses is placed in the basket in the waters. And when Moses comes out through the waters, he is then drawn out of the water, what his name means. And how is he drawn out? Well, he's drawn out by a princess. And he becomes heir to a throne of the kingdom of Egypt and he is brought out of the ark and there is he finds great rest in the palace but not only that he ends up going away and what happens is later on he comes back to the people of God he comes back to Pharaoh he tells Pharaoh let my people go and they escape and what happens is water in the way and they go through these waters of judgment unharmed they get to the other side into the promised land the place of rest and God draws out his people through those waters, but then the waters cover over and they judge the Egyptians and all the Egyptians die. Those who are evil end up dying in those waters in the same way that those who are evil end up dying in these. You know, as we look on through into the New Testament, we hear of a judgment that is to, to come, judgment of fire, to, uh, Peter says in, in his book. But... There is, there is a link here because as uh, John the Baptist is standing, he's baptising people back in that Jordan River, back there where the Moses and the people of God walk through. He is saying, come and pass through these waters in repentance of your sins because you are not innocent. And, but you can come to a God who is innocent and he can make you clean and you can pass through these waters into rest, into joy, into hope, into security. Because that's what the ark represented, security and safety and hope and peace. And that's what God does. And that's why we baptise people today. We're going to be baptising someone in a few weeks time. And as they go into the water and come back out, that is a description of them coming out, passing through judgment, being drawn out of judgment to find hope and rest and it's a picture of all that happens when we become a Christian and this is what happens here this this arc of, of exodus it speaks of a place of safety to come to be uh, to drawn into to passes through the waters of judgment into places of rest and into hope and into a future and into joy 
And so there's a second, second way in which this story speaks of hope. It's a blueprint of hope of what we see mapped out into the rest of the Bible. The third thing I want to mention then is sacrifice. And so, and this is quite an odd one. This is one that I've really had to get my head around because we hear the story, don't we, about the animals going into the ark two by two. And, you know, we, we even heard Miriam read that out late, earlier. And yeah, at the start of chapter seven, verse two, it says something different. Let me just read it to you. It says, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. Then take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal. And you think, what? I thought it was two. I thought it was two of every animal. I thought it was one pair of each animal. And now we're reading in chapter seven, at the beginning of chapter seven, no, it's seven pairs of every clean animal and one pair of every, of, of unclean. And you think, what on earth is going on? Well, if you read on, we get the answer. And so in chapter eight, verse 20, when, so all the waters rise, they then cease, uh, the ark lands on this mount, uh, it rests on the mount, and Noah then ends up getting out of the ark. And in verse 20 of chapter eight, it says this, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds he sacrificed and he burnt offerings on it the lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart never again will i curse the ground because of humans this is an amazing provision of god's grace because imagine noah only did take two animals of each kind and then came out of the ark and then sacrificed the sheep well suddenly we have no more sheep in the world and yet before the judgment came, God made a provision of sacrifice before it came. And God called Noah to take these clean animals, these seven pairs of clean animals, because he knew that through the judgment there was going to be a sacrifice to come. And that, that Noah was going to come and worship and he was going to offer on the altar a sacrifice of repentance and a sacrifice of worship. And so God prepares a sacrifice for the word before the judgment comes do you know this when you look when you just think about that it just maps out through throughout the rest of the bible it's a blueprint for hope and you see it just in a few chapters time when we look at abraham and isaac as abraham goes and sacrifices his son isaac on the wood and yet god prepares a sacrificial lamb that's caught in the thistle there ready before he got there it's there it's ready god has prepared something in time for the wood before even before before even thinks about it and then you map out through and we get to the New Testament and we get to Jesus. And the Bible tells us in 1 John that in the beginning of the world was, was God. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was prepared before the beginning of the world to come um, and be a sacrifice for us. That we might know a sacrifice on the word, on the cross, that we might have an altar to come to and worship at for the repentance of our sins. Someone who covers our sins, who covers our shame, who covers our hurt, who covers our pain, that we might come and be able to know the one who is above all names. And so we get this God preparing this sacrifice, you know, and that sacrifice we read in verse 80, it comes as part of a covenant agreement. You know, in those verses, God says, uh, there's the, old, the, the altar sacrifice happens, God smells it, it's a pleasing aroma, and he promises 
Never again will I curse the ground. Next week, we're going to look at this covenant promise and we're going to read about that. But you will find throughout the covenants that they all these covenants agreement all come with a sacrifice. When we get into the New Testament, we see a sacrifice made by Jesus on the cross. All our pain, all our sin, all our shame, all our guilt is placed on him as he dies. But then he rises again and he brings forth a new covenant of life, of joy, of love, of faith, of peace, of significance. And he takes away and he deals with all our guilt and all our pain and all the evil. And he does it all on the cross. And it's something that God prepared in advance that we might be able to walk in and enjoy and come to. And it happens the same here in uh, Noah and the flood. The last thing, my last point is salvation. Chapter 7, verse 16, it says this. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing that God had commanded Noah and then... The, the waters are rising and then the Lord shut him in. You know, this leaves us in no doubt that the one who sealed them in, the one who protected them, the one who brought about the salvation was God and, and no one else. It was God. It was him that shut them in. It was him that gave protection. It was him that brought the salvation. It was him that brought the restoration. It was him that was going to see them through the, the judgment of the waters rising. It was, it was God that did it. God was the one that sealed them in. God was the one who made a way for them to be saved and protected in this time of, of flood. And the reality is, is that again, once again, all of these things map through. And in the New Testament, we are told that God, he marks us with a seal of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it. It's Ephesians chapter 1 and it says this. Um, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. It's like it's all these things that he's prepared in advance. In order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you too, this is, this is me and you, you too, us, we were included in Christ when we heard the message of truth the gospel of our salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and to the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Just as God shut the ark, protected them, saved them, just as he did it, just as he initiated this salvation plan, do you know what he does? Exactly the same for those who put their trust in Jesus today. You know, the only way to be sealed with the mark of the Holy Spirit is to hear the message of the truth and then to believe and to respond. Today, each of us can do that. Today, each of us can come to God. We can come to God and we can pray. We can repent for the things we've done wrong and we can come to him. And all we need is enough faith to get in the boat. That's all Noah's sons and his children needed. They saw the blameless man. They saw the preacher of righteousness. They saw what he did and what he said. And then they, they had needed enough faith to get on the boat, to, to, to take that step into the ark. And when they did, they were saved and they were secure. And they knew what it meant to, to rest. And they knew all that it meant to know peace and joy and life and love and new creation and new heavens and, and all the newness that came with when they came out of the ark. Do you know in exactly the same way, 
we see Jesus, the blameless one, the righteous one, the, 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 the one who can restore and do all things and redeem. And all we need is enough faith to trust in him because Jesus is our rest. Jesus is the one that we can come to to find rest and salvation and joy. Jesus is our ark. He is our way out. He is the exodus. He is the one that we can come to and sit in and rest in and know that we can find salvation. Jesus is our sacrifice. He is the one that died on the cross, on the wood, for us that we might know him. And Jesus is our salvation. He is the one that's done it. He is the one that initiated He is the one that seals us in with the promised Holy Spirit that we might know him and know a guaranteeing of our inheritance and of our faith. He is the one who can do it for me and for you. And so who are we? We, we're we're the people in the world and we can choose. Are we going to be like the sons and the daughters that are going to take that step of faith, step in the boat, trust in Jesus, trust in the blameless one? Or are we going to be the ones that look on in derision? guess that's up to you and so the recipient recipients us people of God's grace they come through one man's obedience and today we can choose to trust in Jesus obedience we can choose to put our faith and our hope in him and I want to encourage you to do the same because the reality is that no one knows the hour no one knows the time where he will return no one knows when the that the flood was going to rise uh, Jesus he, he says it in Matthew I won't read it out Uh, But he says that that time came, people were drinking, they were eating, they were going, they were married, they were being given to marriage and they were doing all the things of life. They were just enjoying life. But then the floodwaters came. We don't know when the end will come. What we do know is that there is great hope. There's this blueprint of hope that we see in Noah and the flood story. And there's this great hope that we can find right now in Jesus, the one who echoes all of these things. Uh, for us today so I'm going to pray and I want to encourage you if you if you know God then I want to encourage you to um, to just continue to put your trust in him to be obedient to him to tell others about him isn't it good news what we see today you know isn't it good to actually tell people about him that they might not you know they might choose not to trust him and that's okay that's between that's between them and God but we can at least tell them you know, Noah, I guess he had the massive ark. He had the football-sized stadium ark sitting in his back garden, which was a pointer to what was to come. But you know what? Our lives are pointers to what is to come. And we can tell people, we can share people, this is why we have joy. This is why we have peace. This is why we have hope for the future, because we believe in Jesus, the one who has done it all. Hey, we should do that. And if, if you're a Christian here today, then I want to encourage you, pray with me. Pray that God will give us boldness and strength to put aside our, our kind of reputation and all those things that stop us from sharing, but to be people of boldness and courage that go and share. And if you're not someone who trusts in Jesus yet today, why don't you come on, come to him? I want to encourage you to put your trust in him. I want to encourage you to, to, to have enough faith to just believe that what he says is true. And what have you got to lose? That's reality. What have you got to lose? You know, you've got nothing. You've got nothing to lose, but you've got so much to gain. You've got so much to gain in him, an eternity with him. And so, come on, let's pray and, and then we'll, we're going to worship again.
Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for all of us that know you. I want to pray, Lord God, would you give us boldness and courage to continue to share our lives and the hope and the joy that we know that can be found in you. And I, I pray, would you help us continually, not to point people to ourselves because we mess up all the time, but to point people to Jesus, the true blameless one, the true righteous one, the one who has made a way for us to, to know our Heavenly Father, to pass through the, the, the waters of judgment and to come to the other side of rest and to know peace and newness and life. And, and so I pray, give us boldness and give us courage to, to do that. And Lord, for those of us who don't know you yet, for those of us who haven't put our trust in you yet, I pray would you reveal yourself to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you are the initiator of your grace and of your salvation. And I pray today for any of us who don't know you, I pray that we would seek you. And I, I know, I trust that we will find you. And so if, if that's you, if you're wondering, how do I do this? Then three easy things you can do. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus and commit yourself to him. A, B, C. Oh, let me pray it. Father, I admit that I have messed up, that I've done wrong. Lord, I believe in that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And I choose to put my trust in him today. And I want to commit my life to him for the rest of my life. In your heavenly name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10am. Head to hopechurchguildford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.